Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Alexandra Wyman. Alexandra is an Amazon best-selling author of The Suicide Club, What to Do When Someone You Love Chooses Death, a guide to navigate the grief process after loss by suicide. She's been a guest on a variety of podcasts, such as You Do Woo, The Healing Trauma Podcast, and My Wake Up Call. Her story has also been featured in Authority Magazine and Authentic Insider. She is also the co-host of the Russian Sisters podcast, practices pediatric occupational therapy, and lives with her son in Colorado. Can death by suicide be considered betrayal? Whether you think it is or not, it's a devastating experience for those left behind. Not only are they left to grieve, there are so many unanswered questions that have no place to go. Join me for this conversation with Alexandra as we talk about this sensitive and very real topic. Here we go. Okay, everybody. So, you know, we always talk about different types of betrayal and what to do, of course, to heal from it. This is a, this is one we've covered once or twice before, but it's something that unfortunately we go through, some of us go through. So I just want to bring another expert on to just help us through it. This time we're talking about suicide. And I have Alexandra Wyman on to share tools, strategies, and everything else that can help through this. So welcome, Alexandra. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Of course. And let's get started, if you know, just to the comfort level that you have uh, about your story so we can know more about you and why you're the one to speak on this topic. Absolutely. And thank you so much for this opportunity. So I was someone who bought into the white picket fence lifestyle. So a successful life, you go to college, you meet someone, you get married, buy a house, have your 2.4 children and your three dogs. That is not how my life went. And I was well into my 30s before I met my husband. And we hit it off immediately. I had already been practicing as a pediatric occupational therapist for a while. He was well established in what he was doing. And we hit it off. It was a very whirlwind romance. We just knew that we had that higher level soul connection and decided we wanted to start our life together pretty quickly. So we got married. We essentially got engaged within five weeks, got married within eight months, bought our first house, and then found out we were pregnant all within a year. And so then we're getting that picturesque life. And then as time went on, our son was born. And then in August of 2020, my husband ended up going into the mountains of Colorado and not coming home. And the end result of him going missing was he took his life. And that definitely pulled the rug out from underneath me. It was not what was expected at all. There were no signs, did not see it coming, knew that he had some struggles with some childhood trauma and some other experiences throughout his life. But never did I think that the end result would be that he would end up dying. And so from that, my particular situation was compounded with additional trauma and drama after he passed. There were some threats of legal action toward me. There were some questions over custody of our son. And that just compounded everything further and delayed my grief process. Legal action. Where, yeah. where did all that come from? What was all that about? Yeah, just pain. I mean, there were questions about the legitimacy. Sean died four days before our second wedding anniversary. So there were questions over the legitimacy of our marriage. There were questions over whether or not I had legal ability to sell my house if I needed to, which I at the time thought I needed to. 
There were individuals who thought that they would be better parents to my son or that I should have been the one who had passed instead of my husband. And all of this, you know, looking back is I can understand that this was coming from a place of grief because this type of death is you don't get answers to the questions you have. You can't get to that person to stop them. I think it's very easy for all of us as survivors to go, what could I have done differently to save my person? And when you're left feeling hopeless and helpless, right now we often try and provide hope and help to individuals who are feeling like a choice may be to end their life. And yet as survivors, we're left with that feeling of what could we have done? Yeah. There are so many questions I want to ask you. But one thing that comes to mind is whenever I've been a friend of someone who's gone through this, you know, and, and I'm sure I'm speaking for a lot of people, I'm sure there are things not to say. Can you share that? Because I want everybody to know, maybe, I think maybe one of the most irrelevant questions is how, right? Like what in the world right. does it have to do with anything? Yeah. But, but give us, I want to hear from you. What's yeah. something, you know, that we should say? What's something we shouldn't say? And then we'll dive back in. Sure. Yeah. Well, first I want to say it's okay to not know what to say. And there were plenty of people in my situation who just didn't know what to say. And I think sometimes that's where people get garbled and you get told something. In my particular situation, and people want to help and they want to know. And for me, what was most helpful was just people reaching out and saying, I'm thinking about you. I'm here for you when you're ready. That was great and comforting because at that time, what most people were asking is, what can we do? And I said, the one thing I want, no one can do. I want my husband back here. No one can do that. So just being open and available without kind of projecting our own ideas of grief and what an individual would need based off of what we think we would need. I will say there there were some instances of what not to say. I had people very early on say, don't worry, you'll find someone else in your life. Don't wait too long. Get You need another father figure for your son. I did have, Sean did write a public suicide note, which I was able to quickly take off of social media but I did have people for months after quoting the note to me as a form of manipulation to try and, you know, further their cause that somehow I was part of, the, you know, let me say this. The stresses of our life were absolutely part of what I think contributed to Sean dying, but I am not a direct cause to it. So individuals were trying to use that as a way to say that somehow I was directly the cause of his death. And that had to be so hard. I mean, here you are trying to make sense and trying to grieve and manage this whirlwind romance and marriage and baby. And now you're being blamed and accused of things as well. So how did that affect your grieving process? I want to really dive into how did yeah. you grieve this? Like, what's the, What was your process? Sure. So I will say that I believe my grieving process didn't really start until I, I started setting very firm boundaries. And it took a while to figure out one of the things with this type of death or grief in general is that the people you think who are going to have your back may not. And then people who you don't suspect will have your back will. And so it's being open to that. But I had to set some very firm boundaries. There are some people now that just I don't communicate with anymore. And once I was able to set those boundaries and stop getting caught up in what was being said to me, then I could actually start to grieve because it was so noisy hearing what other people's opinions were getting caught up in. How was I grieving? How was I not grieving? 
you know, what kind of mom. I mean, everything. This is the kind of death which it's interesting because if you think about someone who passes from cancer, we don't sit there and start looking at the marriage. We don't start asking questions about what kind of parent was that person? What kind of parent is their partner? We just go, that's horrible. We're here for you. But for some reason with suicide, everything starts to come under question. What kind of mom I was? What kind of marriage did I have? What kind of human being am I? So once I was able to to set some pretty firm boundaries and I had to have help with that, I had started seeing a therapist almost immediately. And I'm a big fan of a toolbox. Have as many tools as you can get because those tools are going to change daily. What works one day may not work the next day. And from doing that, once I set boundaries, then I actually, and it took about eight months, like my situation's a little a little different in that. It took me about eight months before I really started to be able to grieve. And that's such a good point. It's so true. When someone just passes from a disease, you're just there for that person. I'm so sorry for your loss. What can I do? I'm here. But by suicide, it just brings up those other things. And it sounds like you you just, I mean, I have no idea who it was and it's irrelevant, but but there's so much desperation and so much pain and so much anguish that it's like, how do I get this pain out of my body? Let me hurl it at you. You know, it's, yes. it's like, <laughs> yeah. that was exactly yeah. the, the, the thinking in the hopes that it would, you know, relieve some of that pain that the other person was going through. Of course, that does nothing. So what were some of the tools that that you tried? And, and tell us what worked, what didn't work. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So I immediately, I'm grateful. My sister found a suicide support group, suicide specific support group immediately. So I tapped into that. I still participate. It's been two and a half years now and I still participate in that group. I immediately started seeing there and I have different therapists because they have different expertise. So I started tapping into that. And I've always been someone who likes to tap into therapy as a tool. I have journaled. I have sat in my car and screamed and been the crazy person honking her horn, you know, gripping that steering wheel. I've gone to the gym and punched a bag. I have done meditation. I've consulted mediums, anything. I've read books about spirituality and death. To I've watched TV shows on all of this. So I anything that I felt that would help me. What's so hard is that these feelings are awful. And so often we like to just tuck them away. As if we don't embrace them, they'll just go away. And it doesn't work that way. It wreaks havoc on our body physically. It wreaks havoc on our mental health. And so I just decided I have to figure out how to get through this. Initially, what I would do is I am a private griever. So I would kind of soak up everything for the day and then at night take a really hot shower. I'm a really big believer in like baths, hot showers, anything to release the energy. I've consulted with Reiki masters, anyone who can help me repel and and clear space in order to embrace it took a long time but to embrace that I still have a purpose here and and so does my son because it the individuals who are impacted so closely by suicide are at higher risk for dying that way and so I joke but I'm an Aries so I was like how do I do this like I just gotta Me grab too. the situation I hear it. <laughs> okay what can yeah, we do? Exactly. And grace doesn't work that way. You know, you get it. You know, I say I have a lifetime of this journey, but it's going to morph morph and change. And I encourage people, one of the things I do encourage is find what tools work for you when you're feeling good and healthy so that when something happens to you, you already know how to access them. It's a big one that I encourage. Yeah, I love that. So you find the tools first, so you use them when you need to. 
let's talk about spirituality because you know that's one of those things that it it can have us questioning so many things and it can also give us lots of answers i know you know personally spirituality is something that the more i connect the deeper i go the the better i feel and it, you know there's so much with connection to the other side and that sort of thing and we can go on and on about that but tell me about your journey with spirituality and and how it had you questioning or helped you sure so my background i was raised in a religious home and so i had this fundamental background and baseline i would say my family is of russian descent i was raised in the russian orthodox church so i had this foundation and this idea of okay i do for me personally i do believe in heaven and that's where sean is but i didn't really that was kind of for me where i left it <laughs> like okay i have some connection after sean passed i mean i dove in a lot and started to peel apart really where do i stand with this what kind of connection and part of it initially came out of just having a desire to stay connected to him in whatever form that was going to be and so that was kind of the driving piece of it but what ended up happening is that i feel that it really as you're saying it really did open me up spiritually to a higher connection to source to really being able to almost heal it was very healing for me to then recognize oh i do have purpose i can find joy in this life and I can still have connection to Sean, which is still some days hard where I'm very, if I'm very into some of the trivial day-to-day things I'm going, I don't feel as connected, but at least I know I have that almost an avenue or an, a, a possibility. And even through meditation, being able to receive messages, I mean, I feel that a lot of my healing process has been because of Source, because of my spirit team and I know that's going way more into the spiritual side. Go um, for it. That just, I think it just, it really opened me up to the possibilities of understanding things that right now see are really hard for my mind to wrap around. But then I kind of go back to, but why not? Why can't I still have a connection? Why can't we still, it looks different. It's going to feel different, but somehow I can branch the two. And I love that you're bringing this up. And I've said this on other shows one of the greatest gifts I've given myself is the gift of curiosity. And I remember saying, even though I don't understand, it doesn't mean it's not true. And my mom passed 25 years ago. And I remember at the time having these, you know, there, there were such vivid dreams that I've learned they're called visits. And I remember meeting with John Edward, one of the, he wasn't famous at the time. I mean, one of the most, you know, it turns out one of the most famous mediums and I actually met with him and I saw, I tell this story where I never watched TV and here I was watching Larry King and John Edward was on the Larry King show. And I said, I don't care who this guy, where he is or how much I am going to see this man. Turns out he was in my area and I was able to get an appointment with him, but it really formed a very new type of relationship with my mom. And, you know, so for so many of you who are struggling, and I know this may have you, as far as religion goes, you may think I'm full-blown crazy with all this, and that's okay. It's just something that if you consider the possibility that, of course, the you know it's a different form and it's a different type of relationship, but there can be that relationship. So give us you know a little bit about that. Tell us your, your feelings. Yeah. 
I think I started branching out a little bit. I mean, again, being the areas I go down some rabbit holes. So I started going into like the quantum physics, looking at what happens from one energetic form to another energetic form. I won't go into it too much here, but that's kind of where I started. And then trying, I do like the idea and the mediums I've consulted here locally have said, you don't need us. You can tap into your own ability to reach your people and the ones in your loved ones. And I love that because to me, that's them trying to help me improve my spirituality rather than see it as a racket or an industry where they're just, you know, trying for their own livelihood. But every once in a while, I do appreciate going and consulting one just to get a little bit more of that direct connection as I learn more. But I've had all, you know, I've had signs. I've had songs that pop up on the radio that remind me of Sean. I'll have someone say something or they'll be wearing a T-shirt that reminds me of him. And, And the way I look at it is no matter where you are as far as religiosity, where your spirituality, if something makes you feel good and reminds you of your loved one, and it helps you have a better day, if it helps you pay it forward, if it helps you be a better person, then I don't see anything wrong with it, no matter where it's coming from. And that's kind of where I've, yeah, with that. And I love that because it's so true. Here you are grieving the loss of a dear loved one. You know, there were just whatever it is that's going to make you feel better. So there's so much love, you know, and I've heard there's some beautiful saying, everybody knows I botch up quotes, but something like the more you love, the more you grieve. It's so much more profound yes. than that. But that's the idea uh, where you're grieving deeply because you loved deeply. Let's talk about love and compassion and forgiveness and those things. How did you come around to that? And you know, give us sort of a timeline and what steps you took. Absolutely. And I'll say it's still a journey. Those concepts and those are ones I say, that's where I feel like I didn't necessarily come up with those on my own. I definitely feel that I was being pushed in the direction of that. And I'll be honest, really, those ideas came in the shower. I don't know if that ever happens to you where you get the good ideas and the best um, ones. Luckily, right. And luckily, they stuck. Usually, I by the time I get out of the shower, they're gone. But these ones stuck. And truly, what I was finding is in my situation, I, where I started with was, if Sean, where he is and what he's experiencing, if the horrible pain and grief that I'm dealing with, if he's not experiencing that, if he's not upset with these people, why am I holding on to this anger on his behalf? I could continue. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I still do. But then I started kind of peeling apart and I can intellectualize everything all day long. And I started looking at how can I take this idea of just starting with love? And I would say this started about a year, I'd say a year to a year and a half after he passed, where I really started looking into, okay, what does it mean to love? Because essentially what I say, it's a ping, you know, that message that you get was that all that matters is love, compassion, forgiveness. And when I first heard this, I thought, no way. Mm -mm. Nope. That's not happening. But once I started really peeling it apart and going, actually, we get caught up in the trivial day-to-day life, which is not bad, but we get we become so separated from each other and we let things like grief get in the way. We let our own personal pain. We all have things that happen to us throughout our lives that are painful and we let that be barriers to us connecting and having a sense of belonging with others. Whereas if we can reach a higher level of love, not just for the people in our immediate circle, but true humanity, 
when we can come together and have a higher level of compassion or empathy or really understanding. That was something people would say to me is, oh, okay, I kind of get what Sean did, but I would never do that. And I thought, well, actually, you don't know you wouldn't if you didn't have the same information he did. I'll say forgiveness is, yeah, forgiveness is the hardest one for me, I think. You know, I always say forgiveness is just a word until you do it. That's a whole other topic. So yeah, talk to us about forgiveness. Yeah, well, I think so often we think that if we forgive, then we're condoning. If we forgive, then we have to let people back into our lives and we don't have to set boundaries. And that's what I'm still working on because of that conditioning around that idea of condoning. But some, you know, I do say it's a choice and you don't need another person to have forgiveness. It's you healing. In my journey, it's been me healing my hurts and getting to a point that whatever situation or whatever has been said to me no longer gives me that somatic or visceral response. Mm -hmm. It's something I'm not going to ruminate on anymore. And then I'm able to kind of put it at peace so that if I happen to see that individual again, I won't be as impacted by it. And is there was is there an experience like I can think of one in my own life? Is there has there been an experience where it was an opportunity for you to see that you've truly forgiven? Yes, I did have that happen with an individual where I think mentally kept saying, I don't want to forgive this person. I don't want to. And I'll say part of my journey with forgiveness was not just forgiving Sean. I think that's usually where people go to is, oh, did you forgive Sean? And honestly, for me to forgive anybody else, I had to start with myself. What do I need to forgive myself for? What shame and judgment am I holding on to? Uh, But I did have a third party that I kind of, I was still mad and wanted to hold on to some of that grief and then realized over time, I was like, no, it just naturally happened for me. And I said, I need to stop trying to fight the fact that I've forgiven this person, which was a strange feeling, but it also gave me confidence that I can continue on that journey to forgive others and myself. Yeah. And and when it's that level of forgiveness, there's this relief, this release, this lightness, this freedom. And I want everybody to hear that because Yes, you have every right to be angry and hang on, you know, whatever that person did, said those things to you, did those things to you. Yes, you have every right to hang on to it. Yes, you were wronged. Yes, they were mean and horrible and whatever. And it's killing you and Mm -hmm. it's causing illness, symptoms, disease, and it's keeping you stuck. And you only know that when you move through it and do the work to let it go. And I I love that you said that because it's so true. We think we're condoning it or we think we're setting ourselves up as being weak or that it'll happen again or we're a doormat or whatever it is that we're going through. But the truth is you experiencing that freedom is the best, you know, there's that saying the best revenge is a life well lived, right? Like what is that? anger and bitterness and resentment doing for you and your son. I mean, so letting go of that is just so much more powerful for you. Did you know, like tell us, I mean, I know the difference in how I felt when I forgave. Mm -hmm. What did it feel like for you? Oh, very similar to what you're describing. And I tell people now work through, you know, it's horrible to work through those feelings, but it feels amazing on the other side. It really does. I felt lighter. I used to say that my sense of humor and my laughter kind of died when Sean died. And there have been other people who've encouraged me, just keep going. It'll come back. 
But I felt that I could have a little bit, I could enjoy our interactions more, which was very interesting for me because again, there was a part of me that still wanted to be like, no, I can't, I cannot enjoy being around you because I'm still mad at you. And one of the things I'll say in regards to that, that I found is when we're looking for that external validation of our feelings, not acknowledgement, but validation is when it's easier to get caught up in that anger and that bitterness. But when we can, again, heal to a point that our validation comes from within, then it's not that it's always easy to forgive, but it almost makes it a little simpler for us to be on a path of forgiveness. Yeah. But we have to have that internal validation, but definitely feeling lighter and and being able to enjoy those interactions more. Okay. So for someone going through this right now, maybe, what would you tell them? Oh, yeah. Keep going. I encourage individuals to find something that you can anchor to because you're going to have up and down days. You're going to have days where you don't want to get out of bed. Maybe you can get up enough to go to the bathroom and that is about it. But find something that you can hold on to and anchor to that's going to pull you out of bed the next day. And I say embrace those days where you don't want to do anything. Embrace them because you still need them. But when you have something that you can hold on to that's going to help you put one foot in front of the other, that's all. It's small baby steps. Ride the waves. Someone very early on in my process said, this process is an ocean. You are holding on to a surfboard and you just keep holding on. There are going to be days where calm seas and days that you're in the middle of a squall. Just keep going. And so that's one of the main things. And again, it's hard. This process can feel very isolating and we have to overcome ourselves to reach out, even if it's, you know, just to say help or please bring me food or can I talk or can we go for a walk? But to reach out and ask for the help that's needed because we cannot do this. It, it absolutely takes a village. We cannot get through this on our own. I love that you said that. And it's so true, you know, and, and as uncomfortable as it is to say, hey, I need your help. Think about how you've felt when you actually help someone. It feels so good, right, from your end. So by you not asking you're denying that person the opportunity to have that feeling that they're helping you. Well, Alexandra, this has been so helpful. And I'm sure anybody going through it or knows someone going through it now has uh, just a, a greater arsenal of tools to help them through this. Where is that? Where can we go to learn more about you and the great work you're doing? Absolutely. And thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you today. I do have a website, forwardtojoy.com, and there are some resources there and, and ways to um, get in touch with me. Uh, you can also email me at alexandra at forwardtojoy.com. That's all spelled out. And then I'm also on Instagram, same handle, at forwardtojoy.com. Okay. Alexandra, thank you so much. I know you helped so many people with what you shared. Thank you. Alexandra shared so many important tips to help someone go through loss by suicide. Stay in touch with her by going to forwardtojoy.com and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. When someone passes from an illness, disease, or disaster of some kind, people are so supportive, recognizing that the person's loved one is gone. But when it comes to suicide, that same person can be questioned, blamed, and shamed, which can make healing extra hard to do. Also, as Alexandra shared, you may need to set some boundaries. 
Then, once they're set, create your own toolbox that can help you. For Alexandra, it was a suicide support group, therapy, journaling, exercise, meditation, seeing mediums, Reiki, and more. There's no right or wrong choice. Just find the options that work best for you. And even if you don't know what to say, just say something like, I'm here when you're ready, because the person hurting needs lots of love and support. Like the episode in the podcast? Share it with a friend. How? From your phone, just take a screenshot of the podcast and share it with someone you know who'd benefit. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.